Um, I am excited to tell you guys this morning, um, I have had the privilege as a pastor to do several different types of weddings, and uh, the unique thing is each and every single one of these weddings has been drastically different from the other, especially in the venue. Uh, I've done a few weddings in churches, but I've also had some really fun places that we've gone. Uh, I've been to uh, living rooms before around Christmas and done weddings. Uh, I've been to a horse ranch and done weddings. Uh, I've been to a park where the little ring bearer lost the ring and we had to search for it. Uh, That was a fun one. I've done a wedding at a county fairground right in the middle of the show cattle stable. That was unique for sure. Uh, And then we've also been on the steps of a beautiful plantation down in South Carolina. So as you can imagine, all of these places were drastically different from the other. But one thing that they all had in common was symbolism. Every single one of these weddings had symbolism as a part of their gathering, whether it was where the venue was taking place or unique things that they did, um, sand ceremonies, lighting candles. I've even seen people uh, tie and weave together a knot, all sorts of things that they felt like were unique to them or were symbolic of their relationship. And this is pretty common. We know uh, weddings have uh, something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, right? All these traditions that we do. Uh, Even the ceremonies themselves, meeting together at a wedding altar or a father coming and giving of the bride or even the wedding rings that we wear. These all hold symbolism together, right? And for uh, me and my wife, Ashley, it was really no different. We wanted to incorporate something that we felt uh, was symbolic for us something that uh, we could share with other people or that they could see and understand this was part of who we were. Um, And for us, we wanted to make sure that we had communion at our wedding. Communion was very important to us because it communicated this idea that as as two were becoming one, as Ashley and I were, were joining together to be one, that we kept in mind our first union as well. That we kept in mind that we were first and foremost the bride of Christ. And so uh, it was a symbolic gesture for us to be able to do that. And as we took communion in the back with a pastor friend of ours, and uh, it was a private moment where music was playing, and uh, we got to join together in this. It was a unique thing because uh, the church that we were having our ceremony in, we figured we would just borrow a cup from them to be able to do what we wanted to do. Uh, But we invited some really close and creative friends of ours to the wedding. And what they did is before the ceremony, they snuck up, and took away our communion cup. And in its place, they had purchased a set of goblets, okay? And they took and they put the goblet that they had purchased there for communion and filled it together, and then after the ceremony, took it back home or took it away and wrapped it together and gave it to us as a gift. And so uh, later on, when we got back from our honeymoon and we're undoing gifts, we looked and there's a note in with these goblets that said, hey, this is the cup that you took communion with on your wedding day. And so I brought that up here this morning to share that with you guys, Um, and my wife let me take it out of our nice little cabinet where we protect things, Uh, and she told me that either we both come back in one piece or neither of us comes back in one piece. So uh, I made sure Jamie knew, like, hey, this does not move. We stay. It's all good. I want to go home safe later on. Uh, But communion was important to us uh, because we wanted to be able to share in this moment that we were one connected with God before we were connected together. And we wanted everybody who attended our wedding, all of our friends, family, loved ones to know that Christ was to be the very core, the very center of not just us individually, but of our marriage as well. 
that it was going to be a foundation for our marriage was going to be Jesus and our redemption through him. We're working through this series called What Matters, and we're discussing each and every week uh, some of the big rocks or the big ideas of what North Point is all about. And we would say it's not just North Point, but it's going to be churches, it's going to be Christians, believers all over the world would hold these things near and dear. And so we talked the very first week about the importance of the Bible and how everything is foundational on Scripture. And then the following week, we talked about uh, the magnitude of who this almighty God is in our lives. And then last week, Rick talked about uh, our ability to have redemption through the God-man that is Jesus Christ. And so today, uh, we're going to continue along with that. If you've missed any of those, you can always catch up online or the app, uh, watch there, or listen to a podcast of it on your way to work. But today, we're going to continue on uh, with basically Jesus Part 2. We're going to call this Jesus Part 2, and we're looking at one of the last things that Jesus commanded, gave to us before his death and resurrection. We're going to explore this idea of communion this morning. We're going to explore communion. Uh, This is something that here at North Point, we do it every single month. That's just kind of how we've chosen. There's many ways to do communion. There's many uh, times that you can do communion. For us, we've chosen to do it on a monthly basis. Uh, Other churches and places, uh, they do it quarterly. Some do it every single week. But it's a unifying thing that every church gathers together and takes communion. So we're going to jump and ask this question this morning. What is communion? If you have your uh, North Point app, this would be a great time to pop that open. You can follow along with the verses and fill in the blanks. Uh, But we're going to start here with what is communion? And we find that answer in Matthew chapter 26. And to kind of give a background for us here, this is what's become known as the Lord's Supper. This is when Jesus is gathering together with his guys, the apostles, his closest followers, the disciples, and they're, they're going to have the Passover feast together. And this is something that they would have done uh, a few times beforehand. It was common uh, every year. Jewish people, Jewish nation would celebrate Passover. And so Jesus is doing this with his closest guys, knowing that in 24 hours from this moment, he's going to be arrested And everything that he has talked about is getting ready to start. And so he knows this is his last meal with his guys. And so he wants to set something up and establish something that they're going to remember. They're going to remember this last meal. They're going to remember this moment. So Jesus is establishing, setting up an idea of something that they can keep with him during this time. So we'll pick it up here in Matthew 26, verse 26. It says this, says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So Jesus has instituted this this custom, this ceremony here with loads and loads of symbolism throughout all of it. Uh, Just the fact alone that Jesus is doing this at Passover holds holds some symbolism for us. Uh, Passover um, started and goes all the way back to the book of Exodus when Moses is trying to lead uh, the Israelite people out from slavery under the nation of Egypt at that time. And as they're doing all of this, there was 10 plagues that had come around. And the 10th plague that God had put down at that time was for the angel of death to come by every single household and take the firstborn son. And the only way to avoid that happening was to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and to put it up against the doorpost outside of that home. 
And when the angel of death would come by, when death would come by that home, it would literally pass over that home. And instead of death entering into, there would be new life to that child, a new life brought to this family. And so what Jesus is doing by doing this ceremony at Passover is he's showing himself to be that sacrificial lamb. That it's because of Jesus' blood and Jesus' sacrifice that when death comes and the, the result of sin being death, that when it comes, it will literally pass over us and that we have a new life because of Jesus being our Passover. And he talks about this idea that his body is to be represented as the bread which is broken. And we know later on as Jesus gets arrested that his body is literally beaten and that his beard, that the hair from his face is yanked out and that he is whipped several times and then nailed to a cross. And they say that his body was broken to the point that Jesus was unrecognizable, that he looked completely different because of how broken his body had become. And it shows us that Jesus is the sacrificial atonement for the sins of his people. It says later in the Bible that it's by Jesus' stripes or by his broken body that we are healed. By his suffering, we begin to have healing in our lives. And he talks about the cup as well. And this is most likely representing or would have occurred uh, at the third cup of the Passover ceremony. And it represents uh, the third promise that God gave of redemption uh, in Exodus Chapter 6, verse 6, where it says this. It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. See, this cup is to represent the blood that is poured out for us. That the shedding of Jesus' blood brought away for redeeming his people back. And in doing so, it absorbs the sin of the wrath of God. Absorbs God's wrath so that we can take this, this punishment is now a way that we can be redeemed, connected back together with God. And Jesus has put all these things at the time of Passover and the bread and the cup. And he's brought all of this to be symbolic of opening a new way for the redemption of God's people and in doing it through a new covenant or a new promise, fulfilling all the prophecies, fulfilling everything that was foretold, and now there's a brand new way. There's no longer a need for sacrificial lamb because Jesus is bearing himself to take that place. And he wants his disciples at this moment to know, do this in remembrance of me. That when you think back to this moment that you're about to go, this life-changing event, when you come back and think of the last meal they had together, Jesus is saying, remember this and do these things to remember me. So if this is what communion is, the next question logically would be, who takes part in communion? Who gets to take communion? How does this fit in for us? And we find this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a, a the letter to Corinthians is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. It was a bigger church in a flourishing area, and he's telling them and talking to them about issues that they're having because at the time they were using communion to make social distinctions between those with money and those without money. And he's beginning to tell them that, hey, look, guys, you have completely missed 
the entire point of communion. You are using it to drive a wedge between you, to drive distinctions between you, to further you away from one another. You've got the wrong motives and the wrong heart and that people were overeating at communion and actually drinking so much to the point where they were getting drunk at communion and Paul is telling him, you've got to be kidding me. You've completely missed everything that this is all about. That this isn't a time for you to be about yourself, but this is so much bigger and so much more for that. So he goes on uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, to give these instructions to the church at Corinth. And he says this, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul's giving a a three-part answer to this who question for us. Who gets to take communion? Who gets to be a part of it? And he tells us first and foremost, it's for Christ followers. It's for Christ followers. That communion is the symbolic gesture to remember the Christ that we follow to remember his sacrifice and that we are able to have redemption through him. It would serve absolutely no purpose for you to take communion unless you are a Christ follower, that this is this symbolic thing that we get to do and that we take part of because we are connected and unified together in the family of Christ, because we are moving toward Jesus, because we proclaim him to be our Lord and our Savior and claim his sacrifice, we take communion to remember all that he's done for us. So this is uniquely for Christ followers. And then he also tells us that it's for the community of believers, that it's for the community of believers. Paul is clear that communion has this unifying factor to it. That it's not something that we go off and we do on our own. You don't do communion as an individual thing. You don't go home and and take communion on a weekly basis, but rather communion is something that we do corporately. There's this unifying thing that there are churches all over the world who may do it a little different or their frequency may be different or uh, they could be in a different country, but they take communion as well. They do this to remember God as well, that whether uh, you're, in a, you're old or young or rich or poor or where you live or what phase of life you're in or the size of your family or what job you have or team you like, it doesn't matter because all of this, we are unified together through Christ. Communion is this reminder that we are a unified church, that no matter what stage you may be in in life or what other things may be going on or how different we may be from one another, we are brought together and unified through Christ. Communion is something we do corporately and together because it is for the community of believers. So it's for Christ followers. It's for the community of believers here. Uh, Paul reminds us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 through 17. He says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Paul's pointing out we are one together in our family. We are one together in how we take communion. 
So for Christ followers, the community of believers, and it's also for the self-examined person. The self-examined person. Paul tells us that since we are united together, we need to be clear of any issues that may be coming within our family or within our body or our community of believers before we take communion. That we are to take time to pause from everything else that's going on in life and to look deep inside ourselves and to see, is there something inside of us that we need to fix? Is there an issue that we need to resolve. As I was studying for this, talking with a bunch of different people about how they've done communion or how they prepare, what do they do to self-examine, I thought it was interesting and unique to see how many people actually take a time of fasting before communion. That they take this, this time of fasting where they stop and they just reflect and they pray and they analyze themselves and they examine themselves to see where am I at in my life? Is the way that I interact with and treat other people inside the church and outside the church, am I doing that in a way that is honoring to God? Am I exalting and lifting up my brothers and sisters in Christ and our family together, or do I have issues there that need to be resolved? And they ask, where is my relationship with God during this time? And they actually take time uh, fasting away from food just to pray and ask God, "Is is there an issue between me and you? Is there a sin in my life? Is there a habit in my life that needs to be fixed? God, let's, let's resolve this. Let's get this cleared up before I take of communion, before I worship you in this manner. God, I want to examine myself. And Paul challenges us to examine ourselves. When we take communion, it's the symbol of Christ taking away our sins. And Paul reminds us that we need to deal with our sin before we begin to take it as well before we begin to worship in this manner, that Christ's death cleanses us and it unifies us. And so then it would be hypocritical for us then to take communion knowing that we had a sin issue between us and another Christ follower. That we need to deal with whatever it is that may be putting a gap between us and one another or putting a gap between us and God before we begin to come together and worship through communion. Jesus taught this principle for us as well uh, back in Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. He says this, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's extremely important as a unified body of believers that if there's issues between us, if there's things that are separating us together, that we deal with these things. We don't just let these things go out there. We don't just let these relationships have issues or fester or go between one another, but rather we get rid of whatever it is so that we can be unified. We can grow together. We can encourage one another as we strive to move closer and closer towards a life devoted to Jesus. See, for my wife and I, when we got married, communion was extremely important. It was symbolic for us that we wanted to show everybody else that together we were unified. We were one together in our marriage. And that communion not only brought us together, but it brought us together with God. And that it was going to be one for us as well. And we wanted to know that if there was any issue between me and her, we had already talked about it and put that in our past and forgiven each other for our past and we're starting with this clean slate. We didn't want any sin issues or any secrets to be between us, but we were putting everything out there so that we could start with a clean slate with one another. And then we took communion together in front of all of our loved ones because we wanted to proclaim Jesus' sacrifice was to be core 
for who we are. Jesus' sacrifice was the foundation that we wanted our life to be a part of. And as a church, the same applies for us there as well, that we're to be unified together in our marriage to Christ. We're together, brought together, unified in him, and that we get rid of any sin issues in our spiritual family, anything that's hindering us between one another, anything that hinders us between us and God. This is a time to deal with that, to remove that and get that right together. And then we can use this as a time of self-examination and a time of worship to proclaim Jesus' sacrifice to the world that we do communion as this symbolic gesture that the rest of the world sees how important the body and the blood of Jesus truly is to us, that we hold this near and dear above anything and everything else in our lives. The ushers are going to come down here, and uh, they're going to begin to pass out uh, the elements for us to begin to take, and I would encourage you to hold on to these for a little bit. We're actually going to take these uh, together Uh, But as they're passing these things out, as it goes by, uh, I would encourage you to take these and just begin to to examine ourselves, to begin to take this and to reflect on what these things mean, to remember Christ's sacrifice, to remember his body that was broken and his blood that was shed out for you and me, and to ask ourselves these questions as we begin to examine ourselves, are you prepared to do this today? Are you prepared to take communion? And if the answer to that is no, then the question becomes, what is it that you need to do? What needs to be resolved so that you can get to a place where you can worship through communion? Ask yourselves these questions this morning. Then when the ushers are done uh, passing everything out, we're actually going to take communion together as a unified body. And we're going to do something uh, for some of you guys that may be really common. You may have done this several times before. For others, uh, this may be new. It's not something we typically do at North Point. Uh, But we're going to actually read aloud together words that we're putting up on the screen. And we're going to do this because it shows us as a unified body of Christ followers proclaiming that we have sin in our lives but that we also have redemption through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then after we do that, we'll begin to take the elements together. So as we begin to play softly in the background, I just want to take a few moments right now as we're passing things out for you just to examine yourself. Begin to contemplate the body and the blood and take an inventory. Where am I at with others and where am I at with my Savior? I want to read this together, uh, just this gesture of being able to say, God, this is who we are as a church, that we have sin in our life, God, but we claim a hold of your, your promise for salvation and redemption. So we're going to read this together here. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. And this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me.